guys, we welcome you to another edition of It's a Matter of Your Health, the 30-Minute Health Magazine. I'm Dr. Vita Bland, a hypertension specialist and family medicine doctor. We thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us. Well, I think the whole nation was shocked when recently a seemingly healthy young man suffered a cardiac arrest on national television during a football game. People have been talking about that constantly since it happened. We are so very pleased today to welcome back to our microphones, Dr. Tiffany Randolph. Dr. Randolph is a cardiologist at Cone Health in Greensboro, North Carolina, and director of the Advanced Hypertension Clinic. Dr. Randolph, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Dr. Bland. Well, Dr. Randolph, I guess, you know, this is something that you may see on a more regular basis. But for most of us, the whole country was terribly upset over the Damar Hamlin incident. It seemed to be a not so violent tackle, but, you know, I guess that's a relative in term. And as I look at this, I ask the question, what happened? So, first of all, what is a cardiac arrest and why did this tackle cause it? Great question. So a sudden cardiac arrest occurs when the heart stops beating or if it's beating in a way that isn't coordinated enough to supply the needed oxygen and blood to the brain and the rest of the body. And this event was certainly not one of the more common causes of a cardiac arrest, but certainly can happen. Typically speaking, cardiac arrest happens in the setting of someone who's having a heart attack, like who has a sudden blockage to their arteries um, to, that supply blood to the heart, or in certain sort of uh, electrolyte abnormalities, heart failure. Those are more typical causes of sudden cardiac arrest. But sometimes, very rarely, fortunately, even uh, what we would call structurally normal heart can have a cardiac arrest in the setting of blunt trauma. So, you know, of course, not being one of the people actually providing care for him or knowing the actual specifics from what we all unfortunately witness, it seems like this is most consistent with something called commodio cortis, which um, is basically a Latin term for like a concussion or collision of the heart. Um, so the, the blunt force, even though, like you said, we've all seen much more violent hits in the NFL and even, you know, lower levels of, of athletics, it really just takes being hit in the chest at the wrong timing in the cardiac cycle with enough force that it can change the rhythm of the heart. And it seems like that's what happened to him. Amazing. And, you know, I understand that in sports, uh, this happens mostly in direct kicks to the chest that happened in baseball that I, I, I've read. But I know I've seen it in hockey and other sports. This is scary when it happens, but what can we do to prevent this? Or, unfortunately, is this part of what we should expect from direct hits in sports? Or, or you know, what's going on with this? Yeah, you're right. It is scary, right? When I mean, it's scary when it happens to an older, sick person. So certainly when you see this happen in someone who was just running around a baseball field or a football field in perfectly good health, it's even more alarming. Um, this particular cause of cardiac arrest fortunately only happens about 20, 25 times a year. At least that's what's reported. And the, the tricky thing is 
there's only about 10 milliseconds in each heartbeat where you would be hit in that specific moment in the right area of the chest that you could actually cause this. So I wouldn't say, you know, the likelihood is, is overall very low, but if you keep doing trauma to your chest wall over time, eventually it certainly could happen. And it's so unpredictable because this isn't like some, you know, we've seen other causes of cardiac arrest, even in sports, right? So in, in sports, it's usually, or not usually, but oftentimes one of the more common causes is something called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And so that's where, you know, there's a overproduction or a thickening of the heart muscle that puts people at risk for um, heart arrhythmias with exercise. That can actually be screened for to some regards, because you can see that that is not a structurally normal heart. Like if we look at it, with an echocardiogram and ultrasound, we can see that that person's heart is thick and they're at risk. This person, you know, Damar Hamlin, any other person who's had this, if you put an echo probe on them and looked at their heart, you wouldn't see anything different because there's nothing wrong with their heart. It's just a bad, it's kind of like those wrong, wrong place at the wrong time situations. To prevent it, you know, there, there's been some changes in the NFL and other football leagues as far as the, the tackling techniques that they use. You know, it used to be that you could hit people with your helmet in their chest. Well, that was a bad idea. We know now for many reasons, um, CTE or chronic brain uh, trauma and encephalopathy afterwards certainly is more likely to happen after those types of hits to the person who's doing the tackling. And then this particular event, um, this commodio cordis is more likely to happen if you get hit with a blunt object like a helmet in your chest. You mentioned, you mentioned baseball and hockey. You know, those are all um, flying objects that come with a great deal of velocity and hit a chest wall where, you know, you would wonder why doesn't this happen more in the NFL, right? There, you, you would say probably getting hit as hard as anybody or in the NHL and in the, in the hockey league. But it's more common actually in younger athletes. And, and we think some of the reason for that, even though they certainly can't hit with the same ferocity <laughs> as some of the older guys can, young people's chest walls are more compliant, meaning that they're sort of more elastic. They move more um, because they're not, their bones aren't fully developed, right? They still have some cartilage there and so forth. And so when those people hit, the shock can get kind of absorbed more by their chest wall and the heart than an adult who has a little bit more rigid test. So even though certainly Mr. Hamlin was was older, most often this happens in people under 20. Hmm. Hmm. You know, luckily we're hearing that he's coming along nicely and he's awake and um, looks like he's, he may have some um, pulmonary issues that may be going on with him now. Uh, but I think he's quite lucky in that there was someone there who knew what to do to take care of him. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I've read that there are about 300,000 Americans that die each year from cardiac arrest. And the survival rate is extremely poor. The survival rate is poor because one of the reasons is that a lot of people don't know what to do when this happens. What can we do? Should we be teaching CPR to more people? Should we be having defibrillators around more? You know, 300,000 people, that's huge. 
The answer to that is yes and yes. <laughs> we should absolutely <laughs> be teaching CPR. Anybody who's old enough to know where the middle of the chest is and can push hard and fast should learn how to do CPR because you never know. You know, you could be at home with a 10-year-old and that is the oldest person in the house. And if someone goes down, three quarters of the time, cardiac arrest happen in someone's home. The reason that the survival is so low, as you mentioned, you know, the survival rate is only about 10% for an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. And that is because we are not doing CPR as often as we should for these people. And about, I believe about 40% of the time when someone has a sudden cardiac arrest, they actually get CPR. That means 60% of the time they're not. Two things that help when someone has a cardiac arrest are CPR and a defibrillator. And so that's why I said yes and yes. We should be having both uh, options available whenever possible. You know, whenever we have large arenas, especially sporting activities, airports, malls, churches, anywhere where large numbers of people gather, and certainly if there are strenuous activities that occur in those areas, defibrillators should be there, period. It's kind of surprising, um, but in the state of North Carolina, high schools, middle schools, sporting activities occur, but there's no regulation at a state level that requires a defibrillator to be in place. Uh, so that's not necessarily the case in all states. I think Virginia, New York, several several other states do require that. And it's something that, you know, we could think about because it does save lives. It's rare when this happens, but when it does, it's catastrophic. And every minute is crucial. So for every minute that we delay starting CPR, that person's chance of living goes down by about 7 to 10%. So you can imagine five minutes later, it's gone down half of the top, half of the percentage chance of, of actually surviving an event like that. So I guess we need to have some initiatives around to try to help people to determine that they need to learn CPR. And defibrillators are not inexpensive, though a life is certainly worth more. Uh, you know, uh, I guess we can look into that also. Yeah. You know, the thing that can be tricky, you said, you know, why do people not jump in? I think when sports injuries like this happen, especially after a hit, it can be sort of tricky. You know, you know, does the person have a neurologic issue where you don't want to move them? And I think there's that hesitation there. But one thing I noticed when I watched this event was that he, you know, he went down from a tackle, like you said, seemed like a typical episode, but then he stood up. Right. He stood up for a couple seconds. He kind of motioned towards his chest and then he went down. If this were a neurologic episode, if he had paralysis, he would not have stood up. So, you know, the way he he went down was pretty classic for a cardiac arrest. And so at that point, you you've got to You've got to get on him. You, you, the other thing I thought about that, I don't know, you can really tell with so many people gathered around quickly, but you got to get their pads off. Right. So. These pads, chest protectors, you, you talked before about like, what could we do to prevent this? Baseball, softball, they do wear chest protectors, especially in the positions where this is more likely to happen, like a catcher per se. Um, pads are certainly engineered from a football standpoint to help lessen the blow to the chest. Those pads sort of can, I think, sort of absorb some of that shock. But as you see, sometimes that's not enough. But just like that absorbs the shock of a hit, it would absorb you doing chest compression. So you would have to get that person's pads off before you were to start commencing CPR. Mm -hmm. 
Well, we're very pleased to welcome back to our microphones today, Dr. Tiffany Randolph. Dr. Randolph is a cardiologist at Cone Health in Greensboro, North Carolina. She is the director of the Advanced Hypertension Clinic, something dear to my heart. Okay, Dr. Randolph, as we talk about this, I used to see CPR classes all the time. I can't Remember the last time I saw somebody being taught a CPR class? I don't know. You know, this is more your area. Are you seeing this? You know, are, are, are we illiterate now knowing how to do that? No, what's going on? no, CPR classes are still available. You can, if you Google, if you go on the American Heart Association website, if you just Google CPR classes, you can certainly find them. And now, honestly, it, it it used to be that we did compressions and we asked people to give breaths, resuscitative breaths. But now, really, the American Heart Association for lay people, we are recommending uh, compression-only CPR. So this is something anybody can learn. It certainly decreases the risk to the person giving the CPR. And there's plenty of, I would love for everybody to go through a CPR class, but it's not rocket science, honestly. You know, you can look on the internet, go on the American Heart Association website, and you can see how to do CPR. The, the main thing is, one, making sure they're truly unconscious, that they're not responding to you, that there's not a pulse, and then you commence CPR. You know, you're, you're pressing down hard and fast with both hands interlocked and your elbows straight. You want to be in the lower portion of the sternum, sort of between their nipple line. And uh, the rate should be at about 100 minute beats per minute. So if you're trying to figure out what is that, depending on what generation you are, you can think of certain songs, <laughs> right? So uh, Staying Alive is one of the co- popular songs to think of by the, I think it's by the Bee Gees. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to sing it for you, but um, <laughs> <laughs> then there's, uh, what else? I Want to Dance with Somebody by uh, Whitney Houston. Mm-hmm. Um Adele rolling in the deep and there's another one beat it I think by Michael Jackson so Michael Jackson okay all right I know all those okay (laughs) well that's good I'm glad that they got different songs so that you know for the different generations that they may uh can you know things that they normally would, would be singing and everything that's really nice so you know knowing that you are also a hypertension specialist um we, you know, we're going to talk about this also, but what do you think we can do about, you know, hypertension also? Oh, yes. This is a passion we both share. I know because yes. unfortunately, over 800,000 people still die of cardiovascular disease every year. And when you think of all the preventable things that we can do to help not to change that number, Um, hypertension is high up on the list. So hypertension, diabetes, smoking, obesity, physical inactivity, those are sort of the big five. Hypertension is one of the easier of those things to manage, right? So if I, I always tell patients, I would love for your blood pressure to be under control on as few medicines as possible. And so the first part of that is diet and exercise, right? If we Think of those as part of our prescriptions, making sure that we're all getting at least 150 minutes of exercise a week, something moderate, something that, you know, walking is fine. Walking is low impact. That's great. I tell people you want to make sure that you're walking at a pace that's brisk enough where you can't really hold a full full conversation, just a few words. Smell the roses walks. That doesn't necessarily give your heart the (laughs) exercise that it needs, but 
150 minutes of exercise and then watching our diet. So really limiting the sodium in our, in our, in our diets, trying to keep that under 2000 to 2,500 milligrams a day. Often those things help keep the obesity in check as well, right? So now we've checked off physical activity and obesity, which significantly lowers our likelihood of getting hypertension or diabetes for that matter. But if we do have hypertension and we've done those things and it's not helping, then we need to be on medications. It's, it's an unfortunate truth, but we know that even though nobody likes to be on pills, the reason, one of the reasons we all live so much longer now than we did 100 years ago is because of those pills. You know, they really do help to improve the duration and the quality of our lives. Absolutely. And, you know, we look at the number of strokes we used to see and the number of strokes that we're seeing now. There's a decrease in that. And it makes a big difference. And uh, as you said, people don't want to be on medication, but sometimes you do. And I always tell people, look at your family history. You know, if mama and daddy both all had high blood pressure, there's a good chance you may also have high blood pressure. That's very true, especially with age. As we get older, unfortunately, it becomes increasingly common, even when we're doing all the right things. You know, sometimes it doesn't seem fair, but it is what it is. We have to accept the situation we're in and do everything we can to lower our risk for, for bad outcomes. Exactly. And you also mentioned diabetes. And I see so many people who are diabetics who I feel don't give it their all. And, you know, their numbers are up and then that puts them at more risk for all kinds of problems also. So taking care of that, making sure things are are good with their, you know, diabetes, again, is something that um, is intergenerational. We see family members, you know, that have it. And especially if they're not watching their weight, watching what they're eating. And hey, like anybody else, the holidays, everybody wants to eat all that good old food. But I try to get people to try to look at some of the foods that we love the most, the sweets, the, uh, you know, rich foods to use them as a treat and not maybe as something that you have on a regular basis. You know, I could not agree more. Yeah, I, I tell people all the time, I don't think you should ever say anything is 100 percent off limits. Right. Because then that's all you pray. That's all you can think about. You, but I yeah. but what, as you said, it should be a treat. Or when we're looking at our plates and we're making our meals, the largest thing on your plate shouldn't be the carbohydrates, right? You shouldn't have a whole plate of mashed potato and then three green beans and a big steak, right? Like if we flip those portions, think about the carbs being what the, give yourself the portion you would give a two or three year old for the carbohydrates. So you get enough to have a taste and not feel deprived, but that should not be the staple of our meals. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Randolph, I just heard that President Biden is on the phone and I hear you could be appointed as the new secretary of health. (laughs) If this were to happen and I think, you know, hey, it's, it's, it's good. What would be your platform to improve the health of our country? And how would you enact that? And I know that I am asking for a lot. Yes. A lot that needs to be (laughs) taken care of. But you're fabulous. What would you do if you if it was all in your hands? Hmm, That's a good. That's a good. I hope I hope that one day that is my problem to figure this problem out. (laughs) (laughs) I really do. So, you know, honestly, I would go back to the smartest person I ever knew, who is my grandmother. And she always used to say, among many other sayings, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Right. Mm. And so I really think that I would go back to what we were just talking about, figuring out how we can 
lower the risk of the thing that is most likely to kill us all, which is cardiovascular disease. Because the staples of that, the diet, the exercise, it lowers our risk for everything. Many cancers, Alzheimer's, heart disease, strokes, chronic kidney disease, so many of the things that kill Americans and that disproportionately kill people who are black and brown could be solved with putting our forks down and getting up and walking and exercising. So I would really try to implement changes that start at the preschool level where it would not be allowed to take physical education out of classrooms, where we would not be serving our kids pizzas and macaroni and ice creams and sodas in the vending machines. You know, if things aren't available, then you can change the way a whole generation eats Mm -hmm. and exercises, moves their bodies. So I would start at that level. Um, And then you can't have this conversation with about, without talking about the importance of making it affordable to eat healthy and having people have safe places to exercise and move their bodies. So, Um, You know, making sure that there are gyms and safe spaces for kids to exercise, for adults to exercise, seniors, making sure that as we think about where we're going to build these nice new gyms um, and wellness centers, that we're placing them in the parts of the community that most need them. I would provide vouchers for people who want to do that. I would continue programs like Silver Sneakers that allow our seniors to exercise for free both in the facilities and at their homes if they don't feel safe going out, all of those types of things. And then making sure that when people do need medications, that they're affordable, right? Like there's nothing sadder than to see a patient who is living on $2,000 a month and $800 of that is going to their housing and then their medication is $800, right? Like (laughs) it's it's unconscionable that we couldn't make all of our patients in the United States able to um, receive the medications that they that they need and that their uh, providers have prescribed for them. Those are fabulous things. And especially I like the idea of starting off young, starting off habits in young people. That's so very, very important. And in fact, people are now talking about the environment that babies are in before they're born is so important also, you know, that the mothers need to think about what they are eating when they are pregnant with their children and all of that. So starting off young, I think is just a fabulous idea so that we can get these kids knowing, you know, what they should be eating. A recent study came out that looked at the number of people who ate uh, fast foods and people who didn't. People who ate fast foods and maybe augmented them with some uh, fruits and vegetables. And they saw that the people who ate the fast foods had more Alzheimer's. But the thing about it is that they had more Alzheimer's at an earlier stage also by eating all these uh, foods that were highly processed. I think that's the word that people are using now, highly processed foods, trying to stay away from those things. So if we could get people to understand you are what you eat, I don't care what you say, just like with a computer, junk in, junk out is so very, very important. But one of the things you also mentioned was being able to afford it. 
being able to afford good food is very, very important. And I think sometimes it's also teaching people that you can get frozen stuff that doesn't have all that, you know, additives and stuff and you can use and it may take a little bit more to cook. And that's another thing. I don't know about you. I find that a lot of young people don't know how to cook or <laughs> who's not to cook, you know, because it does take time. It does take prep time. And, you know, they may not have ever learned to do that. They've always a, a lot of kids, young people have eaten a lot of fast food a lot of their lives. What do you, what do you think? That is true. You know, it's kind of funny when you say, I, I guess I'm slowly moving out of the young people. In my mind, I'm still young, but I guess I'm... Hey, we're always all young. <laughs> but um, I'm still young. So for our family, I think time, time is the biggest thing. You're so right. You know, it takes a little bit of forethought to um, to make sure that you have the that you prepare your meals at home. Like, so if I don't know what I'm going to eat, for dinner when I go to work that morning by the time I'm driving home at seven o'clock I'll be honest fast food sounds like a a good viable option my my um willpower is low at that point (laughs) and I want to hurry up and eat get my kids in the bed as quickly as we can but we have to be careful because not only am I hindering my own health I'm hindering the health of my three kids my husband as well I'm very fortunate my husband cooks better than I do. He's probably one of the few people who can still cook from scratch and all that kind of stuff. But I think you're right. You know, our my generation below, I'm in my 40s. I think we're very used to fast prep, minimal prep, no prep, pre-cooked meals. There are a lot of options, though, now, you know, some of the different meal delivery services. And sometimes in your grocery store, you can find those similar types of things, where, which are much less processed. That require much less meal prep time um, that that we can do. And, and to be honest, I find that when we're when I'm most successful and when my family's most successful is when we sort of sit down on the weekend and plan out what our meals are going to be for the week. Go ahead and get our groceries, and then that way, if I already know, okay, on Tuesday it's this meal. I already have the groceries. I'm much more likely to go home and actually cook it. Or also cooking in bulk and freezing, all those types of things can help you to be more successful than just waiting and sort of flying by the seat of your pants. It's, you're, you're much less likely to, to make a good decision when you're just going with what, whatever the, however the spirit moves. <laughs> Well, we have been so pleased to have as our guest today, Dr. Tiffany Randolph. She's a cardiologist at Cone Health in Greensboro, North Carolina. She's the director of the Advanced Hypertension Clinic. Dr. Randolph, as we end our session today, any words of wisdom you'd like to leave? Going into Heart Health Month and at the beginning of the year here, I would just say this is a good time for a reset, right? So after the holidays, as you mentioned, so many of us, fell into the habits of eating everything that was delicious and there were lots of good options and you know we oftentimes kind of hunker down when the weather is colder and get into a pattern of not being as physically active as we could and so this is a good time for resetting those patterns and making sure that we get back into the activities that we know our body was made to move right and getting back into the things that allow us to do that and 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 pick our our new eating habits for the new year. Well, Dr. Randolph, thanks so much. We hope to talk to you again very soon and have a fabulous day. Thank you for having me. You too. 
It's a matter of your health. It's brought to you by the African-American Public Radio Consortium, NPR Distribution, and the Public Radio Satellite System. Find It's a Matter of Your Health podcast wherever you get your podcast, and make sure to visit our website at www.drblandradio.com for past episodes, blogs, and more.